Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. The U.S. will soon require travelers from China to show a negative COVID-19 test before visiting amid a surge in China cases. Is forced labor from China involved in making U.S. cars? One senator wants automakers to look into it after a new report highlights the possible connections and says every part of the car should be scrutinized. FTX customers not only want their money back, they want their money back first before anybody else, including creditors, and they're suing to make it happen. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Southwest Airlines is still having trouble. According to FlightAware's website, the carrier has canceled over 60% of its flights today. Since Friday, Southwest has canceled more than 14,000 flights, stranding customers over the holidays. CEO Bob Jordan apologized yesterday. I want everyone who is dealing with the problems we've been facing, whether you haven't been able to get to where you need to go, or you're one of our heroic employees caught up in a massive effort to stabilize the airline, uh, to know is that we're doing everything we can to return to a normal operation. And please also hear that I'm truly sorry. While other airlines also struggled over the holiday weekend because of a winter storm, they've mostly recovered, but problems at Southwest have continued. Today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said it's no longer a weather issue. He said new cancellations indicate a system failure at Southwest, and he's going to hold the airline accountable for making things right. The Senate Commerce Committee will also investigate the airline. And mark your calendars. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, commonly known as SBF, is expected to show up in court next Tuesday. He will either confess or reject charges on two counts of wire fraud and six counts of conspiracy. If he's found guilty, he could spend decades in prison. SBF has repeatedly said he's not criminally liable for the billions of dollars taken from his customers. He called it a mistake. Meanwhile, current FTX CEO John Ray says he doesn't find such statements to be credible. FTX customers have filed a class action lawsuit against FTX. Their goal is to establish priority over FTX's leftover assets. Other people, like lenders, may also have a legal claim of the leftover assets, so the customers who allegedly had their money stolen want to be at the front of the line to be compensated first. I mean, it makes sense, right? The customers put their money in FTX and then FTX loses it. Shouldn't the customers be first in line to get their money back? But actually, legally speaking, it's exactly the opposite. They should be last in line under normal circumstances. Jim Baer is the president of CMBG Advisors, a firm that specializes in bankruptcy. He says this is just how the American legal system is set up. There's a system of priorities that are set up. And we start out with what we call secured creditors, and those are people that actually have a loan to the company that's perfected, and the world is on public knowledge that they come first. A customer deposit is not treated as the money of the customer once it's put on deposit. It goes into that general creditor class among and, and is shared pro rata with other customers, and in fact would come behind a secured creditor. Bear says that this is pretty much settled in law. Many jurisdictions are doing this, so it's likely that these customers who lost their money may not be first in line to collect the leftovers. But this could be an exception. The FTX scandal involves brand new technology in a brand new unregulated industry. 
and the class action lawsuit itself muddles the water for all the creditors. The lawsuit says that cash and assets traceable to victimized customers never belong to FTX. It says these should be earmarked for the victims. It also says that the victims should be first in line to get any other cash that's recovered. The founder of Gelman Law, David Gelman, says the lawsuit was a smart move because if the court is sympathetic to their argument, it could even consider the customers as creditors and move them to the front of the line. I have a good legal argument, for sure. It is in the uh, district uh, bankruptcy court in Delaware. So they are um, fairly business-oriented. They're, they're very business-oriented state when it comes to that. A lot of bankruptcy proceedings uh, occur there. So I, I could see it going either way, honestly. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And there could still be a lot at stake, especially in the U.S., during the congressional hearing two weeks ago, Congressman Barry Loudermilk asked current FTX CEO John Ray about FTX's U.S. assets. Sam Bankman-Fried claimed that all U.S. customers should be able to get their money back. He alleges that, that FTX U.S. has been and remains solvent and could pay off all of its customers tomorrow. Given the evidence you have and what you've gathered, is there any degree of truth to this claim uh, we still have a hole in the in the U.S. So it's, as we sit here today, it is not solvent. We haven't ultimately, though, uh, found all the keys to the wallets. As we find and open those wallets, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to find more assets. We'll keep you updated on what John Ray finds. Meanwhile, we reached out to the lawyers representing the customers but didn't hear back before airtime. And on Wall Street, stocks closed lower on mixed economic data and rising COVID cases in China. The Dow lost 366 points or one and one tenths of a percent. S&P dropped 46 points or two and one and two tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq fell 140 points, one and four tenths of a percent. Amid the COVID surge in China, the U.S. will require all travelers from China to show a negative COVID-19 test result before flying to the U.S. The new rules take effect next Thursday. The U.S. joins a number of other countries and regions doing the same. Japan, India, Malaysia, and Taiwan have all announced rules for mainland Chinese travelers. The move comes as officials draw more attention to Beijing's self-reported health data. Reports from inside the country say hospitals and funeral homes are overwhelmed. Yet official figures show only a single death from COVID-19 in the last week, fueling doubt about their transparency. China said Monday it would stop requiring incoming travelers to quarantine starting January 8th. It's a major move towards reopening borders after nearly three years closed. And if you bought a car in the last five years, some of its parts may have been made by Uyghurs forced to work in China. A new report is claiming that the Chinese government has deliberately shifted raw materials, mining and processing auto parts manufacturing into the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. This would essentially make international supply chains captive to repressive programs and systematic forced labor. NTD's Shar Marshall has more. Could your car's parts be linked to Chinese forced labor? That's what the U.S. Senate Finance Committee is asking major automakers to find out. They've asked eight major car makers to disclose whether any of their components are linked to alleged forced labor in China. The car makers include General Motors, Tesla, and Ford. This is according to letters made public. In June, a U.S. law took effect banning the import of forced labor goods from Xinjiang in a pushback against Beijing's treatment of China's Uyghur Muslim minority. 
which Washington has labeled genocide. The Senate committee also sent letters to Toyota, Volkswagen, Chrysler parents Stellantis, and Mercedes-Benz. The letters say, unless due diligence confirms that components are not linked to forced labor, automakers cannot and should not sell cars in the United States that include components mined or produced in Xinjiang. Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden cited a new report released earlier this month by Britain's Sheffield Halam University. The report says between raw materials, mining, processing, and auto parts, manufacturing, we found that practically every part of the car would require heightened scrutiny to ensure that it was free of Uyghur forced labor. The report focuses on the auto industry's use of steel, aluminum, copper, batteries, electronics, and other components produced in Xinjiang. Take lithium as an example. China processes 60% of the world's lithium, with a growing percentage of that refining underway in the Xinjiang region. The largest lithium actor in the region is called Xinjiang Asia Europe Rare Metal. It works with suppliers of the world's largest lithium-ion battery producers. Meanwhile, it has been receiving, quote, assigned workers since at least 2017. That's where indigenous citizens of the region are forced to work in labor-intensive industries and subjected to, quote, unprecedented coercion, accompanied by the constant threat of re-education, internment, and imprisonment. And it's not just battery materials, it's other components too. The report says the sewing of interior cushions and floor mats is underway in factories adjacent to some of the Uyghur region's most repressive internment camps. The report says the auto industry cannot wait another day to trace their supply chains back to the raw materials. To do anything short of full tracing would be an enormous legal, ethical, and reputational risk. Sean Marshall, NTD News. American and international manufacturers shifting production out of Asia, China in particular. These companies are moving mainly to Mexico. The difficulties of maintaining global supply chains have pushed more and more companies to cast their nets wider or diversify. According to the Mexican Secretary of Economy, 400 North American companies were exploring moving their operations from Asia to Mexico. She says companies don't want to put all their eggs in one basket and they don't want to put all their trust in Asia either. Javid Group is an Arizona-based company that helps foreign companies overcome the legal, fiscal, and regulatory hurdles of starting operations in Latin America. Before 2022, Javid worked with two or three clients a year, but in 2022, it's worked with six clients setting up shop in the country and already has lined up four more for the first quarter of 2023. And to get a better idea of why companies are doing this, earlier I spoke to Joshua Rubin. He's the Vice President of Business Development at Javid Group. Thanks for joining me, Josh. Now, at Javid, are you seeing a trend of sort of manufacturers shifting production to Mexico? Yes, um, thank you. Um, yes, the, we, we are seeing a trend or a shift in, in the manufacturing world and, and where, where the location is to, to manufacture their products. Uh, being what happened during the pandemic uh, back in 2020, as well as what took place during the Suez Canal, um, we, we've noticed that manufacturers are now looking for other areas and other countries to manufacture their product. Not as a 100% solution, Mexico isn't the 100% solution to manufacturing, but as, a, uh, as an additional location to where they have been manufacturing in the past. So what we're seeing is this change of of not putting all your eggs in one basket would, would be the way that the shift is, is looking like now in today's days. Is there a particular reason why Mexico in particular? 
I would have to say the main reason would be where most of the headquarters are of these corporations or where the market is that they're trying to sell their product to. Um, U.S. being one of the largest markets in the world and one of the largest consumers of, of products, um, a lot of the companies are, are trying to be closer to their clientele or closer to their headquarters, which the majority of them are in, in the United States. So the main reason why Mexico, why, why this, it's, it's in the same time zone. Um, very similar languages. There's a very large Hispanic uh, culture in, in the United States, and, and, and um, a lot of people do speak Spanish. Um, you can get there relatively quickly. Um, you can probably be in your facility in the same day if you look at Mexico. The thing here that we need to understand is that um, it's not just the country that you want to manufacture in. It's the laws and the regulations to manufacture in that country. For example, there's a company that has an operation in China and a company that has an operation in Mexico um, but for some reason, the supply chain and the duties and customs have changed the way certain commodities might uh, be taxed. So they might say, hey, you know what, there's a there's a benefit on on this this uh, pen, just use the pen, pen as an example. There's a there's there's a benefit in manufacturing this in Asia right now because the duties have been reduced. OK, let's move all that to Asia. Let's move to Mexico, what we can do in Mexico. So it's it's always changing. It's always uh, modifying what what is being made in one country versus the other one. Now, you mentioned earlier that these companies are shifting their production from Asia, right, to uh, Mexico and maybe other places. Now, in Asia, is it China mainly or w what's the main country? The main country is China, especially with what, what, what has taken place in the, in the recent years um, using the Trump administration as well as the pandemic. Um, it, it's not necessarily all China, but, but the main companies that are looking and coming and calling um, or, or people pulling out of Asia is going to be mainly out of the Chinese companies. And a lot has to do with the tariffs and, and the increase in cost and logistics that it was taking to, to come out of China or come out of Asia to, to Mexico. Um, but we're also seeing the Chinese companies come. But I want to make it very clear. It's not a pullout 100%. It's a, a, a diversification of manufacturing um, in a way that, that hasn't been seen before. Usually you would put in if you're going to say, I'm going to move to China, you move everything to China. And all, all the manufacturing gets done over there. Now what we're seeing is we're going to leave some in China, but we're also going to move some in Mexico. And we might move some in the U.S. And we might go into Europe. And, and, and they're diversifying the manufacturing process so that if there is ever a Suez Canal blockage or another pandemic, at least operations can continue running in different markets and in different countries as depending on the way lo the logistics and the supply chain works. So earlier you said there is a trend. What signs are pointing to that? How, how do you know it's a trend? Um, because I used to never get phone calls from companies coming from Asia. And now I get lots of phone calls of companies from Asia and them specifically saying I'm either pulling out of Asia or I need another location outside of Asia. Um, so it's from the actual personnel that are calling me directly is, is where I have my evidence and my proof. I right, thank you so much for your time. Josh Rubin, Javid Group, pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. And we'll take a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Peloton offering refurbished bikes at a discount, just in time for New Year's resolutions. And the New Year's Eve ball in Times Square gets new crystals. What's special about them? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. 
and another leak of personal information on Twitter? A hacker says he's selling the personal data of Twitter users. The hacker claims to be selling the public and private data of more than 400 million Twitter users that was stolen in November 2021. It was allegedly stolen by exploiting a vulnerability that was not fixed until January 2022. Although Twitter fixed the problem, it appears that multiple hackers were able to steal enormous enormous amounts of private information from users before it was addressed. The data reportedly contains information that includes user emails, usernames, account creation dates, and phone numbers. And it includes data from 37 celebrities, politicians, journalists, corporations, and government agencies. Peloton has announced that it will sell pre-owned models of its popular exercise bike. Peloton certified refurbished bikes feature used bikes that are three to four hundred dollars cheaper and they come with a 12-month warranty. According to the company's website, employees and their friends own more than 20,000 refurbished bikes. Peloton saw a rise in demand during the pandemic as people exercised at home during the lockdowns. But with the pandemic fading, that demand has dropped. Google Maps may be available to nearly everyone in the world today, but it wasn't always like that. Maps and atlases served as navigational aids going back millennia. NTD's Malcolm Hudson paid a visit to a specialist rare bookshop in London known for the sale of the most expensive map ever sold on the open market. I'm here with Elena Napoleone at Daniel Crouch Rare Books, and she's going to be showing me some early atlases from around 500 years ago. So, Elena, could you please explain to me a bit about these atlases? Of course. So, we're going to be looking at a 1486 uh, Isolario, which is an island book, the first sea atlas that was ever published. Uh, It was made by Bartolomeo d'Alissonetti. And then we will look at a 1525 Ptolemaic Atlas, which was published in Strasbourg. Based in St. James, London, Daniel Crouch Rare Books specializes in antique atlases, maps and sea charts. They have a unique selection and were responsible for the sale of the most expensive map ever sold on the open market, priced at $10 million. Though both these atlases are around the same age, the Isolario is unique in that it was not based on the maps of Ptolemy, the Greek cartographer. Ptolemy lived in the 2nd century AD and expounded the theory that the Earth was the centre of the universe. The author, Bartolomeo Dali Sonetti, says he was the captain of a ship and travelled the Mediterranean. And so drew the, map, drew the maps of the islands from uh, travelling uh, around them. And this is very important because the only other um, atlases from the time were all Ptolemaic atlases. In a twist of mystery, it's not known who exactly Bartolomeo Dali Sonetti was. His chosen surname translates as of the sonnets because he wrote sonnets about the islands. In contrast, the Strasbourg map is based on Ptolemy, but also goes beyond him. This one has some modern maps and the most important fact about this book is that it has uh, the first woodcut map to name and show America. Among the selection of globes and charts is a stunning map of China from the Qing dynasty. This showed the empire's people where they were in the world and that they were part of something greater. And it's accompanied by an astronomical chart, positioning mankind within the cosmos. In a time of digital maps, these items seem like relics from a distant past, 
but they also mark the rich history that has brought us to today. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Cultural traditions make a big part of holiday celebrations, especially for kids. Let's take a look at some popular children's books from 2022 and draw some inspiration for a family reading list. The First Notes, the story of Do Re Mi, is an illustrated book that speaks to the beauty of music and the power of perseverance. The book follows the story of medieval musician Guido Arezzo, the Italian monk who invented the musical note system. The second book celebrates the uniqueness of every child, with the name, I'm so glad you were born, celebrating who you are. Author Ainsley Earhart tells children they are valued by their family and society, no matter who they are. Earhart is the author of best-selling children's book, Take Heart, My Child. The Longest Wait is the second book about Patrick Picklebottom, following the Penny Book in 2020. In the new story, Patrick goes to storybook hour a bit early. He sits and waits, sings and dances, and even writes a short poem. But it turns out he comes on the wrong day for storybook hour. But still, he had so much fun waiting. The next book is about courage, describing how a girl tackles her fear of darkness. She catches a star by stacking items on top of each other. How to Count Sheep Without Getting Bored. Bobby Moynihan, famous for being a cast member on Saturday Night Live for nearly 10 years, tells kids that imagination is all-powerful. His book makes the whole sheep-counting experience playful. Finally, a storytelling guide designed for children. 52 illustrations take them on a fantasy journey of their own. Melbourne-based author Elise Hurst is an illustrator and fine artist specializing in children's books. The New Year's Eve Bowl in Times Square has an update. New Waterford crystal triangles have been installed. They are said to be a part of the famed ball drop ceremony this year. Every year, millions of eyes around the world turn to the New Year's Eve Bowl in Times Square, counting down the last few seconds of the year. The crystal ball is 12 feet in diameter and weighs more than 11,000 pounds. The sphere contains, contains more than 2,600 crystals. The shapes are anchored to an aluminum frame and illuminated by LED lights. The ball is able to display more than 16 million vibrant colors points in millions, billions of patterns, forming a spectacular scene on the roof of one Times Square. This year, over 190 crystal triangles have been replaced. The new crystals represent the theme of 2023, the gift of love. You can see these intertwining beautiful love hearts on this cut on both sides, designed by Irish craftsmen. And this is what's really special about this. And this is part of this brand new theme, greatest gift, the gift of love. We need this after the pandemic. We've all gone through a horrendous two years. We've come out the other side of it and we've come out better. We surround ourselves with love. We've got everything. Each year, Waterford's Irish artisans handcraft these crystals for this special occasion. This year marks the 10th year of the Greatest Gift Crystal Collections. Since the pandemic outbreak in 2020, in-person viewing of the iconic ball drop has been subject to varying degrees of restrictions. But this year, they've all been lifted. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.